Hi, everyone. Welcome to the new Grief and Rebirth podcast, Rebirth Series, where I will be chatting with special, inspiring people who have grieved, met their challenges, chosen to heal, and have experienced the blessing of rebirth. This new Rebirth Series is inspired by a comment from my son made while I was on my healing journey after my precious husband died next to me in a tragic car accident. Mom, he said, there has been nothing worse than seeing you in total despair and nothing better than seeing you able to have joy again. From my heart, I wish this for each of you. Be sure to give a listen. Hi, everyone. I hope this finds each of you so very well. I was speaking to you today from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey, feeling so very thankful to be welcoming Laura Mosley to Grief and Rebirth podcast for the 12th inspiring interview in the Grief and Rebirth podcast Rebirth series. Laura, who will be speaking to us from Madison, Indiana, is a single mom of three, a grandmother, and the courageous survivor of more than 23 years of both sexual and domestic abuse. She is currently involved with social services works. She is a domestic violence advocate. She's a public speaker. And she also has a blog called The Walking Wounded. Lori describes The Walking Wounded as victims of domestic abuse. Domestic violence victims and survivors hide their pain behind smiles and they hide their bruises behind well-placed garments and accessories. They live their lives in such constant chaos that mental health professionals have reported that their brain scans look almost identical to those in the military who have experienced and survived combat situations. Full disclosure, I very much resonate with Laura and her story because I grew up in a home filled with trauma and pain of domestic violence and abuse. During my adult years, I volunteered for and was trained to answer calls coming into the hotline of a battered women's service, which provided me with quite an education on this subject. I'm looking forward to talking with Laura about her heart-wrenching story of trauma and pain, how her trauma and pain transformed into a remarkable story of healing and rebirth, and the way she now inspires others to begin their own healing journeys. Laura, I am so glad to welcome you to Grief and Rebirth podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate you letting me be on here. Oh, I'm, I'm just so delighted. And I think we are going to not only educate and enlighten and probably inspire a lot of people. Because this is an important conversation that a lot of people really are not is. aware of. So be, let's begin. And I am like, so with you as, as I, as I, as I interview you, I mean, like I, it's, it's triggering memories like crazy of my own background and, and my own life. Please tell us about your life before you began to experience both domestic and sexual abuse and share how you met your husband. Gotcha. Um, again, my name is Laura Mosley. I am 48 years old. I grew up in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. 
uh, to two loving parents that are still married, still very much in love. Um, I had a great childhood. Um, my parents would describe me probably as spirited, but I was a tomboy, got into trouble a lot, uh, had to push the envelope. I still do as an adult, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I loved learning. I loved meeting people and talking to people, even as a young child. And I loved writing, uh, I would write stories. I would make up newspapers. Um, I was going to be a journalist when I was in high school. And when I met my uh, husband, my, my abuser, I was a senior in high school. We both worked at a plant nursery. You and were really met, young. You were so young. I was. It was getting close to, getting close to graduation. Met him then. Um, my then boyfriend at the time worked there. Uh, he decided to break up with me and be real dramatic with it right before prom. So my best friend, uh, my best girlfriend and I went to prom together and uh, afterwards, you know, graduated and um, I started talking, you know, more and more to uh, the man that would become my husband and found him to be very delightful. He's very articulate. He's very funny, uh, you know, didn't have much money. So I would, you know, share my lunch with him on weekend weekends and, and things like that. And, and, you know, we just got to be friends. Um, and then he decided to ask me out on a date and it went from there. So, um, I, he's, you know, good looking guy, again, charming, didn't think anything of, of that. Um, I was raised to believe, uh, the best, you've got to find the best in people. And so that's what I did because he didn't show me anything other than, you know, that what a great person. Yeah. Right, that he right. Did yeah. he, did he have any, I learned that when I, learned when I was studying to be to man the hotline I was I learned that a lot of people who are so abusive like this they have very bad anger management issues did he have those issues from his childhood <sighs> his upbringing um he did of course not anything I really learned about until after you don't learn married. until you're until you're getting blasted with it but right, right. but um he was raised by a single mother you know that I was very close to um throughout, you know, my entire married life, but, um, she was a product of domestic violence. Her husband was very abusive. And when she divorced him, he, my abuser was five years old. So you're thinking, oh, he couldn't have seen much. He probably saw a lot more than, and absorbed a lot more than, you know, people it is realize. very formative years too. Right. And, um, so he did have anger issues. Um, he came from a broken home. He did, um, when he was, um, a teenager, he really struggled with drug usage. Again, didn't find this out until after I married him. Uh, but he didn't seem to have it then. So I wasn't as concerned. But his addiction issues kind of followed through our whole entire marriage as well, which kind of ran parallel with the abuse. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, if you abuse, you can abuse and be addicted to substances, you can abuse and be addicted to control. And I feel like those were parallel. Um, but yeah, he, he did have, he did have anger issues. He got suspended in school for fighting and things like that. Um, and I, I feel like that kind of triggered, you know, his and today with what, you know, those would have been red flags for you. Exactly. And we're exactly. going to talk about red flags later, but that's, I also, my first husband was also abusive. My father was abusive and my second husband, not at all because I went to therapy and I healed a lot, but um, it's, it's, uh, it's today I know better 
And we'll talk about what those flag, red flags are that people should be aware of when they're dating someone to say, uh-uh, exactly. uh-uh, this is... Uh. So could you ex- uh, describe how domestic violence and sexual abuse impacted you during your marriage and share how your kids were affected both physically, emotionally by what was happening in their home? Just like your ex was affected by what happened in his home. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, when we first got married, well, we, we found out we were pregnant pretty early on. So we got married pretty quickly and then moved in with his mom, um, who also, I mean, she single mom tried to control every situation. I understand I'm a single mom now. I get that to a certain degree, (laughs) but, um, you know, so there was a lot of conflict there. Well, he Um, probably had anger management issues with her too. He did that growing up, but he he was mad at her too. He had a lot to displace onto you. Yeah. A lot of it. So, you know, he didn't start, we would start off having disagreements just like every newly married couple would have, but he, he took it to a physical level. Um, when our old, our oldest child was 18 months old and, um, he hurt me and I forgave him just by not acknowledging that because he didn't acknowledge it. So, um, you know, just trying to move forward in my marriage, not make a big deal. Maybe I was making more of a big deal about it than I thought. So, and, and this continued and it was just different cycles of verbal, emotional, physical, um, and, and later on financial, uh, which a lot of people don't realize is an abuse, spiritual. You know, in other words, he withheld money from you. Yes. Yeah. Until- um, we had, we had a joint account, so he would, you know, he kept telling me I was so good with money. I needed to make sure the bills are paid. And that was what I was doing. And, you know, I'm trying to give him and myself an allowance, you know, so we can stay on track. And then, then I was, I was the one withholding money when I'm trying to get the bills paid. So then he would take out an enormous amount of money and overdraw us or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of control there. Um, spiritual abuse. He didn't want me going to church. I was raised in the Catholic church you know, and, and he, he moved us, you know, 450 miles away from my, from my family. So that's how I stayed close to them as I went to church every Sunday or tried to, and was guilted and, uh, you know, that's another form of abuse because they take you, my father disowned me for many years. They take you away to punish my mother. So they take the support. So Mm -hmm. your church was your support. He had to take it away from you. So you can control you more. Yeah, absolutely. So it was just, it was just constant ongoing cycles of that. And, and, and just in all that coercion, making me feel like I was crazy for, you know, trying to maintain who I was and, and make my, make sure my family was successful. And it was just insane, you know, the cycle and, and not even realizing I was being abused and not realizing that was a cycle. So once you learn or you realize, oh my gosh, I might be am I being, am I being abused? I don't know. And then you start reading about it and noticing, wow, this is a cycle. It amps up. We have an explosion and then everybody, you know, everybody's oh, so sorry. And it just circles back from there and you just don't realize it until you do. And then you can't unsee that anymore. Right. Right. So can I ask you what he did sexually? What he like, um, um, he, um, wanted to have sex all the time. So if I was not willing to do that, if I was like, 
oh, I can't, I'm not feeling well. Oh, I'm, you know, I have to get up at 3 a.m., you know, let's do this later. No, it was his way or the highway. Also, when I was in high school, when I was 16, um, a former boyfriend had raped me and I never really told anybody about that. So once I, Facebook suggested this person be my friend one day and I kind of freaked out and I had to tell him, you know, I didn't keep anything from him. And once I told him, he was like, oh, wow, did you deserve it? What were you wearing? And I'm like, oh, my God. Because I I told him what happened. I told him what he did, you know, that I never told my parents. Um, So then he would try to take advantage of me in the way that I was raped, which was not something I ever wanted to do. And he did, he did it. He, he got me um, basically buzzed, almost drunk and did what he wanted. Well, I'm crying and begging him not to. So. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is rape is very real inside of a marriage. No is no. It does not matter if you're in a committed relationship, if you say no and they coerce you or they force you, that's rape. Rape. How about your kids? How were they affected by all of this? Um, you know, when they were young and naive, um, probably five and, and less, he was just the best dad. Um, he had the ability to be when he wanted to be. But once they started becoming more self-aware, then he started getting uh, physically and uh, emotionally and verbally aggressive with them. Um, and, yeah. and me, and, and it bothered me that he would do things to me in front of them. Cause if he wanted to start an argument, I'm like, okay, let's go to our bedroom and we can talk there. I didn't want to have any sort of disagreement in front of my kids. I mean, I think kids need to know that parents don't always agree, but not to that extent. So, um, no, it was just another show of power. And then once they became 10 and became, you know, very self-aware, very independent, then he would almost like punish them for being, trying to be who they were, um, instead of, you know, working with me, working with us both, you know, trying to parent. Um, so they, they did, I feel like they got a lot of, of physical, more emotional and, and verbal, but I tried to not leave them alone with him because I didn't want him to do anything, but you can't not, you know, leave a child with another parent, you know, forever. Sometimes you have to leave the house and, or they'd get home before me or or whatever, and he'd be there. So he would do things to them without my knowing. And I found out later on, um, are they okay okay now? I mean, they're, 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 therapy, you know, and things like there that. Been therapy. I, I, that saved my life. I have to tell you with, uh, I, I'm right. one of three and I'm the mm-hmm. one who had the most therapy. And I actually, that's why I'm so passionate about this healing podcast because it Absolutely. changed my life. And it sounds like it's helped you also, and it's helping your kids. And I, I tell Absolutely. people all the time, you know, you can, you can change the dynamic, but you have to do the work. And when you're talking about the fact of the cycles of abuse, that's called the honeymoon period, right? So would he, um, so I know my mother used to get jewelry. I did too. You got yeah. jewelry. <laughs> jewelry, flowers, dinner, um, con- occasionally like concert tickets or an event ticket. Um, I have all this jewelry in my jewelry box that I have such bad memories of that I'm really 
really thinking of just selling it all. <laughs> I probably wise to do and get yourself something that makes you happy. Exactly. You know, exactly. Right. It's your time now. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone is listening to this and, and wondering, Laura, how you found the courage and where you found the support to leave this toxic relationship. So could you please share your healing journey with us? It takes so much courage. Absolutely. Pull out. I mean, you probably had to plan it and do different things. What did you do? Uh, well, you know, he and I separated about four times um, before the final separation. Um, I think it, in like 2010, 2012, somewhere in there. Um, I think it was 2010. I was watching an Oprah Winfrey documentary about bride burning. I mean, but they talked about domestic abuse right before they launched into that. And I was, I was at home sick, either myself was sick or I was with a sick child. Can't remember exactly, but I watched this whole thing. And that's the point where the light bulb like came on above my head. Am I being abused? I think I'm being abused. And I started reading about it. And cause I always thought there was something, maybe he was bipolar. Maybe he was, you know, borderline personality. Wasn't sure but he always referenced it was my fault. So I did a lot of self soul searching too, but, uh, the final episode, well, one of the things that they do is they make you crazy. They make they you do. doubt your own. They make you crazy. They make you doubt your own reality, right? Yeah. They're Absolutely. constantly attacking you. They're pulling you away from your support systems and everything. And it's all you, it's never that. Absolutely. Huh. So once this, the final episode happened in September of 2017, um, a year prior to that, I had to start losing weight. Um, I had needed a gallbladder surgery. I had to eat fat free cause I didn't have insurance at the time. So I was losing weight. I was starting to feel better, which is always good. You know, when they're sitting there constantly making you physically and emotionally sick anyway. So I'd go to the gym and he'd follow me. He stalked me, um, just to make sure I was, cause you know, I was cheating on him constantly, according to him. Um, I don't know when I have, would have had time to do that, but okay. Um, so, you know, he, I had to go, um, out of town for a business, um, trip. Um, so he was torturing my children while I was gone, even though I took them to my mother-in-law's house, she sent them back home because oh my God. yeah, it was, it was a big mess. Um, so I came back home and I said, I, I can't do this anymore. Well, of course, then, you know, we had a big blow up. He was, oh, so sorry. We're going to work on this. We're going to get back to the way that it was. I just went ahead and said, okay, but I was planning on leaving because I just, I couldn't do it anymore. It was making me to the point where I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping well. And, you know, it was affecting my work life too, you know, my ability to provide for my family. So, um, the day, uh, the day prior he shot at me and the shot reason at you shot at me with a gun with a really, gun really a gun. oh my god so he had a gun in the house yes and we both we both are we both have guns so that's you know was not a big deal but he was just so angry because i hadn't called him to tell him i called in sick to work i just went after i got the kids off to work and school i went back to bed because i felt terrible and then i went to the doctor and then i realized i had missed calls from him so i called him he charged me back down to the doctor's office, made them verify why I was there, what I was there to be seen for. Oh that was the most embarrassing thing. So when we got back home, he was angry, was trying to make a show a force and shot at me. He didn't hit me, but I still have a bullet hole in my wall. Actually, it's my daughter's room now. I, I won't sleep in there. <laughs> so um, 
But Does it bother your daughter that she's sleeping in a room with a bullet hole? No, no. I mean, she wasn't attacked in there. I've been attacked in every room of my home. So I don't really care for my house anymore. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's a place for my children for sure. But, um, but, you know, and then he, I went to work the next day trying to maintain just my level of sanity that probably wasn't even there. And, you know, came home that night was fixing dinner. You know, we were supposed to, you know, kind of cook out and chill out. There were no kids at home except for our youngest one. Um, <clears throat> And as the night progressed, he drank more, which by the way, he was also an alcoholic. Um, and he got madder and madder at me and called my best friend and, and yelled at her, um, you know, and just, it just escalated from there because it was something in his mind that was really going on, really wasn't going on, but he was using that to fuel his anger to, to carry out whatever he was doing. And I really feel like him shooting at me the day prior, he was working up the courage, you know, hindsight's 2020. He was working up the courage to try and kill me. And, you know, we got into, we got into an altercation out there. Cause he was screaming at my, my best friend on the phone. I went to retrieve my phone and said, okay, that's enough. I got struck across the face and, and my daughter tried to, my middle daughter tried to protect me. And my youngest son saw that. So the fact that he beat me in front of my child, that's a felony. But so my middle child, my daughter got my youngest one out of there, took her, took him to her best friend's house while this is all going on because he's getting physical and cornering me in places in the house. And then, you know, I noticed that He's, you know, I'm trying to find my youngest and, and my daughter calls me and says, you know, I've got him. I'm coming. I, I'm calling, I'm calling, you know, my oldest, uh, we're calling the police mom. This is ridiculous. So meanwhile, he won't let me leave the house. He's cornered me in our bedroom. He's beating me again. He beats me unconscious, uh, to the point where I have a, a concussion. And now I have a oh slight tra- a traumatic brain injury because oh of it. God. And, um, you know, just, it just. And some, and amongst all this tears, my house completely apart. Um, you think he's a guy? You think he's got <laughs> he has issues? Just a few? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Just and, a few. You, and then, you know, my oldest uh, son was at a, a few towns over, um, raced back because my middle daughter had called him and he races home and gets in between you know, by this time I've regained consciousness, but I'm like woozy, not really realizing where I'm at. How, old, how old was your oldest son at this point? Um, let's see. It was almost five years ago. So 24 and gets in between dad and I, his dad and I, but on his way home, he had called the police. So the police start showing up after, uh, you know, I leave the house with me and my little dogs. I'm sitting in the car, um, we're waiting for the police to get there. And you can just hear him in the house, just tearing it apart, um, you know, and, and I'm sobbing and I've got little dogs in my lap trying to lick me because <laughs> I'm crying. Um, and I've got my old, my oldest child sitting there talking to me, my middle child drives up. And then when she drove up, then, you know, four police cars drive up. And honestly, all I can think of is, oh my gosh, what, what are the neighbors thinking is going on over here? And, um, 
one of them's talking, one of the officers is talking to me, they go in the house, but he runs out the door. So he decided, my abuser decided to flee and they did catch up with him um, and put him in a car away from the house, which I was glad and uh, took him to jail. Meanwhile, while my, you know, when he decided to flee, my, my middle child, my daughter decided, you know, she saw him leaving, told the police officer. And when she did try to show him which way that he went, she slipped on my property and hurt her, her leg or her foot. So I was concerned about her. So the ambulance was there. I refused treatment. I just said, look, I'm going to take her to the ER. Um, since you guys have him in custody, uh, I'm worried about her leg not realizing what I looked like. Well, I had bruises and, and stuff all over me and didn't think about it. Cause that's not where I, I was concerned with my daughter. I, so I had to sign a waiver saying I was fine or I, you know, was taking myself to the ER. We get there and they take a look at her and they take a look at me and go, are you okay? And I'm thinking, yeah, I, I'm bringing her to the ER, not realizing that, you're the <clears throat> that what I look like. And so the police officer that was helping was on the scene. He came over, you know, checked on my daughter, uh, made sure she was okay. And, you know, checked on me. Uh, they took me and I had an MRI and different tests ran. And they, I had a, a little bit of a bleed on my brain. They were concerned about, but they did release, they did end up releasing us at about 3am. But before, uh, after I got back from my brain scan, uh, the officer was still there and I thanked him for his help. And he said, you, you realize I have to take pictures now, which is very, nobody's ever had that done, which I hope not, but that's very humiliating. And then he made it as, as less humiliating as possible. He was very nice about it, but he had to take pictures of me. And I didn't realize that, you know, in the course of our fighting, he, you know, my ex-husband had spit baked beans all over me. Um, I had bruises, I had, you know, lacerations, um, which was all important for your divorce. I'm sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's a story in itself. Yeah. But, um, so he had to take all these pictures and since my abuser had beat me in front of my child, it became a felony and it involved, it started involving the state, um, which, you know, went for a while, but they ended up, I don't know, um, abusers tend to know which attorneys to hire. And this attorney decided to wear the state out to the point where I had to kind of take over because they were even delaying my divorce by like 20 months. I finally said enough. And, um, I went ahead and, and pushed the courts to give us a date for divorce. Cause I waited the mandatory 60 days. I was well over that. And they gave me a date 26 years from the day that I was married as my divorce date. And I had to sit by myself, tell the judge, you know, what went on that I did no longer wanted to be married. And my abuser sat with his attorney and sobbed and, you know, the judge, uh, divorced us, thankfully. So but happy he, to did he ever go for any therapy or anything. What is, what, what is his story now? Um, well, while he, we were, um, apart, I had an emergency protective order and I had all of that. Um, he kept on drinking, um, was dating every eligible woman in town, live in a small town in Indiana. So I got to hear about all of it and, uh, left a bar one night cause he and a girlfriend of his had fought and 
he ran his bike into a telephone pole, just about died uh, because he was drunk and they ended up uh, amputating his leg. Oh my goodness. So he's now disabled because of his alcoholism, but he's a narcissist and that was not his fault. Of course. Um, (laughs) Of course. Uh, Have you, and you've been in therapy, of course, and you, you're working on all this, which is so helpful. Is there anything you would else that you would like to share with those who are listening to us that has been especially helpful to you in your healing journey uh, as you've been moving on? Um, you know, it's all about safety. You have to, you have to do what's good for you, what, what's safe for you. And, you know, if you feel like you're being abused and, and they don't have to lay a hand on you, you're being abused. Verbal abuses can be just as hurtful as, as physical abuse, sometimes more bruises heal words mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. and uh you know always have somebody that you trust that you talk over with this uh, even if it's just an advocate um they can help you plan safely to you know to right. leave and i'm going to add to that that there are uh, through many parts of the country battered women's shelters and when the battered women's shelter, when I worked on that hotline, they even had transitional housing where women who were really fearing to stay in their homes, they had places where they could go that would be protected because some of these guys were just like your ex tore up your house. I mean, I would hear okay. horrible stories that, that went on while the woman was still in the house with the kids and all that. So mm-hmm. there was safe transitional housing for them also. Um what would you tell our listeners? All right. So a girl's going out with a guy and, you know, what should she look for to make sure that this is a benevolent, loving guy with potential to really be her future mate? What are the red flags that you would say that you didn't see when you were dating? Um, they like to assume everything. Uh, they don't ask, hey, can I hold your hand? Can I give you a kiss? Uh, they want to move things on very, 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 very quickly. Um, you know, talk about imminent marriage and things like that, you know, after the first or second date. So you have to, you have to really be careful of, of what, what's going on there. Um, watch their body language. I mean, people, whether people realize it or not, tell them exactly what they're going to do. You just have to listen and watch and observe. Um, and, and, you know, now that I'm in the habit of doing that, you can't unsee that people will tell you exactly what their intentions are. If you watch. If you want, you could also watch the way they treat other people, like a waitress, an animal, an animal, and any of that. And um, um, it might be good to be aware of what their childhood was like. Like you might have, if you'd known now, because you've had mm-hmm. therapy, and you heard that the single parent and that she had control issues and all of that that went on, you would have, hmm, what's what's unhealed here? Right. That's going on, right? Yeah right? Um, exactly. Right. Um, well, now you've moved on to do all these wonderful things, which is incredible. Um, you want to tell us about your social services works, your work as a domestic violence advocate, which you're doing right now by talking with me, your, and your blog called the walking wounded, and you're doing public speaking, which you're doing right now. So yes. tell us all about the new Laura. Um, I blog, I have a blog that I just love writing on, I can write on it anytime I want to. It's called the DV walking wounded. Um, I feel like that it's, it's kind of chronicling this side of surviving abuse, because I think when you're in it, it's so hard to know that there's another side, the freedom, the, the just safety 
you know, that you would feel and, and all the other emotions that go along with it when you're trying to heal. Um, so I, I do that. I, uh, let me uh, ask you to access that. It would be, um, www.dvwalkingwounded.me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't choose.com. I, I liked the .me because it happened to me. So sounds good. Yeah. And, you know, I, I work for a federal service, uh, organization, uh, and I, I help people, people call in all the time. I'm a customer service rep and I have to, you know, sometimes I have to ask, are you safe? Do you have uh, domestic violence and do you have an advocate? Would you like the national hotline number? Um, things like that. Um, because domestic abuse isn't just inter- interpersonal partner violence. It's, uh, you know, parents and children, um, elder abuse, things like that. So, you know, working in that environment, I encounter that almost every day. Uh, so I do give out resources that way. I have people contact me on Facebook and Instagram and things like that. And I try to help them as much as I can. It's, it's terrible what happened to you, but it's wonderful that you can help others now. I, I, I try to, that was, that's my goal. If I can help save somebody, at least one person from this, it was, it was worth it. And, you know, I also work with a state representative. Um, there was a lady, a local lady, her, our name was also Laura. She died at the hands of her abuser. We had the same judge. Our abusers had the same judge. And I was going through a parallel experience as her. Now he couldn't hold her abuser. He let him out. He went and killed Laura Russell, unfortunately. And, um, I was afraid for my life. I mean, you know, he'd already tried that once. Um, so we're trying to get it to where the judge can hold for more evidence if they feel that's necessary. Um, unfortunately it's not going well in this, um, session. Uh, they're talking about reviving it next session, which would be January of 2023, but to also work with, um, the coalition against domestic violence in our state in order to make sure that and I, this is a horrible phrase to make sure that all of the verbiage, the legal verbiage is bulletproof um, so that they can, you know, make sure that that gets put um, uh, up front on the docket and gets handled and gets pushed into law. So I'm working with that because that's very close to my heart. I mean, I wonder how this judge felt when he realized that he let this guy go and he ended up killing his wife. Um, he, it, it made the national news and I think he did feel bad, but he didn't express it very well. So it, I don't think he came off as very remorseful. Um, I don't know. I really try not to assume things of anybody because I think ultimately he did not have enough to hold him on. And I understand that aspect too, uh, because you don't know, you can't just go, Oh, you know, I have a hunch. I'm just going to keep him. I mean, I suppose judges can do that, but they have to have a legal precedence to keep them on. So mm-hmm. if we have this, if we pass this law, then they can hold them for up to 72 hours for the state to come in and say, Hey, we believe that he is dangerous. Here's more evidence. <clears throat> so. well, that's a good thing that's coming out of your experience, unfortunately, but fortunately, right. Yes. Um, I'm going to give everyone the, uh, who's listening, the national domestic violence hotline number. And Laura, if you have any other contact information besides dvwalkingwounded.me, let <laughs> us know. But the national domestic violence hotline number is 1-800-787-3224. And there is also a website called um, 
thehotline.org. Is there anything you would like to add, Laura? Um, I also have a Facebook like inspirational page also called the walking wounded. People can get in contact with me um, that way as well. Um, That's great to know. That's really great. So uh, let's say, let's hope that no one here needs it, but if you do or whatever, now you have a resource um, to get on and get support for yourself. And what would you say is your special message about the importance of healing and rebirth that you'd like to share with our Grief and Rebirth podcast audience, especially Um, from your background? Don't lose yourself. Um, You know, and relationships are are meant to enhance who you are, not lose yourself in. Um, So if you've got somebody that's trying to lose yourself, that's trying to get you to lose your identity. That's trying to get you away from your family and isolate you. That's a big red flag. So don't ever, you know, don't ever lose yourself. I lost so many years of myself that, um, you know, trying to get slowly back and, and rediscover who I am as a person. Not only are you rediscovering who you are, but I suspect that some beautiful, wonderful new things are coming out about you as you're healing and you're growing. Um, right. That you're just, Oh, wow. You're discovering because they were, you were not allowed to blossom. Exactly. In this marriage. Right. And what is the Laura Mosley tip for finding joy in life? Um, You know, even the small things, take things that you love. Like I was denied for so long writing, take the things that you love and, and do them and do them with great joy and, and do them, you know, glorifying God and, and everything good about you. That's my tip for joy. I have to tell you, I've read some parts of your blog and it's wonderful. And I really recommend you. people, uh, all of you listening, get on the Walking Wounded blog. It's, it's, she has wonderful things to say. I, I really uh, got a lot out of it, Laura. Thank you. And I, you know, you're so welcome from my heart. You are an incredible role model for the victims of domestic violence and abuse because you, Laura, found the courage to stand up and say, this happened to me. It was not okay. And I'm not going to allow it anymore. You've been shining your bright light so that others can see that they too can find their way to empowerment, healing, and rebirth. Laura, thank you from my heart for what has been a heartfelt, enlightening, and really touching interview. And Here's a reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on IreneWeinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe to Grief and Rebirth podcast on YouTube. Like, subscribe, and hit notify so that you will get all of the inspiring and insightful new interviews like this one with Laura coming your way. And if you would like to be part of this rebirth series, please send me an email to hello at irieweinberg.com. As I like to say, to be continued, many blessings, and bye for now.